you have your copy of Scripture, I invite you to turn with me to the tiny book of First John, or 1 John, looking at um, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 29. We'll just kind of read through some of this passage as we go to work our way uh, through this, this part of this book. It's a great little book, and I want to challenge you, as I did last week, to uh, read through this entire book. Uh, it's only uh, five short chapters, and they are short chapters. It's only uh, a few little pages in, in my Bible, uh, but some important challenges for the early church from, from John and uh, some important challenges for us today. Uh, I do ask that you, um, you pray for us, not just me as I deliver the message because um, I always value your prayers, but I pray for those who are volunteering um, at our church. We have so many great volunteers who just serve so faithfully, preparing things for worship, preparing things for what we do in the ministries, and we're so thankful for that. Um, like I said, this is a tiny little book, uh, 1 John. It was written as a, a letter from the Apostle John, um, and uh, he wrote these three letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Not very creative names for him, I guess, or 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. Uh, but he wrote these letters uh, to individuals in the early church in a time just after, really, Jesus had uh, risen. This is probably written uh, 90 to 95 um, uh, A.D. And so just after Jesus was walking, and John himself was a friend of Jesus. He's known as the disciple whom Jesus loved, is how he referred to himself and um, they walk with Jesus, talk with Jesus, and he tries to, in 1 John uh, to, uh, to combat the teachings that were happening in the early church, the time of the early church, uh, of something called Gnosticism. Now, uh, the Gnostics, they, were, uh, they simply believe really that, um, that God is, is a spirit, and so therefore he is transcendent. He's just kind of out there floating somewhere. He's a distant God that we can never have a relationship with, and uh, there's no way that he could ever or would ever or could ever uh, come in the form of a mortal man. And so uh, they don't think that he could ever be limited like us because he is God and he is spirit. And so they didn't believe that Jesus was um, God's son at all or was in fact God in flesh. And so John, who knew Jesus well and knew who he was uh, and knew that this is indeed God in flesh, uh, works in 1 John to teach the people in the early church who Jesus really is. Now, there were two main types of Gnostics in, uh, in this time in which John is writing. There's the Docetic Gnostics. Now, that sounds big words for you. I'll try to keep it simple. But the Docetic Gnostics, uh, they simply denied the humanity of Christ. Okay, So they said that they, they believed Jesus walked on earth because it's only a few years ago, so they acknowledged that, that there was a historical Jesus. But they said that there's no way that that was God in flesh. So there's no way that Jesus was God's son because he was in the form of a man. And they, they could not believe that a God who's a spirit could ever uh, walk that way. And then there's the uh, Serinthian uh, Gnostics, which is not Corinthians, it's Serinthian uh, Gnostics, which is uh, named after a man named Serinthian. And they actually, which is more complicated, they believe that Jesus was a man until his baptism. And then there was a God's spirit took over Jesus until he was on the cross, and then the Spirit left him on the cross. Okay? So the, the Gnostics, in this way, believe uh, he, he could have had God's Spirit from his baptism until the cross. But John here uh, speaks against both these types of Gnosticism in this letter. See, both these claim superior 
knowledge, which is gnosis, which is the, the Greek word which this Gnostics come from, both claim that they were the ones who knew how to be with God. They were the ones who knew about God. And they, they claim that in order to, to know God, because he's this distant God who's transcendent, he's outside of our world, in order to know him, uh, you just had to know more about him and you had to believe as they did. And so they taught you had to follow their teachings and, and only their teachings rather than following the words of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus. And so John writes these letters, especially one John, to, uh, to fight against this Gnosticism. Um, they believe that the only way to be close to this sort of distant spirit God was through knowledge. And the more we know of God, the better off we are. And so... Um, there was a constant striving to kind of to know more about God without actually seeking any sort of relationship with Him because they didn't think relationship with God was possible. But we know that that is made possible through Jesus Christ, which is what John teaches to these people in the early church. He said the way to know God is, to, is through Jesus Christ and a relationship with Him. And so uh, this week, it, it leads us in the, the series to some warnings for the early church and some warnings for us today. Uh, first, to, that uh, there are lots of temptations and sins of the world which try to drag us away from, uh, from God and God's ways. Uh, second warning is that there are people who uh, leave the faith or maybe are never really a part of the faith uh, who will try to teach things to lead us away from God. Uh, and there, there are other uh, teachings that, that try to lead us away from God. Uh, so there are sins and temptations, there are people and there are teachings that try to lead us away from God. And so we just want to explore that um, a little together. So look with me in 1 John chapter 2, first of all, verses 15 to 17. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 to 17. It says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Now stop there to say, that's some powerful statements, isn't it? That's some powerful things. Do not love the world or anything in the world. The first thing is a pretty powerful statement, isn't it? Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. Now, what is that talking about? Verse 15 here has the love for the world and love for God is presented in these verses as, as opposites. And anyone who just keeps on loving the world can't possibly be really loving God and experiencing God's love. The idea actually in the, in the Greek, uh, when it says anyone who has the love for the world, uh, the Greek actually has a word in there which kind of means either stop doing it or uh, don't get in the habit of doing it. So uh, either stop loving the world or don't get in the habit of loving the world because to love the world, to give all of yourself to the ways of the world is completely opposite than giving your uh, love and, and all of your, your life uh, to the ways of God. This is not to say that we are not to love some things that God made. Now, many of you may remember uh, the old hymn that says, All things bright and beautiful, the Lord God made them all. Isn't that a beautiful old hymn? 
beautiful song that says, we love what God has made. God made things to be beautiful. And God made things to be enjoyed. Now, we live, I have to say, we live in one of the most beautiful spots in the world. We do. We are so blessed. We've got the lakes here. We've got the, uh, the ocean there. We've got the, the beaches. You've got uh, some bushwalking opportunities. You've got kind of everything right at our grasp. And I know just, um, just yesterday, we stopped over at, uh, at Soldiers for just a moment, and we were actually just going to eat the cafe. The cafe is closed. And then we look across, and we saw some, some tails popping up out of the, of the water. And we walked across, and we saw these whales, uh, both young and old, just kind of playing there in the water for a while. And uh, now, now I've only lived here 18 months or so, but I've never got to see that. And it seems like as soon as I leave Soldiers, I see someone else, usually Norell, has popped on a photo of whales that she's just seen. Or someone else pops on photos, oh, just been at Soldiers today and seen some whales. We've never got to see them, but I thought, how beautiful it was just to watch. Lindy actually said, it's beautiful just to see nature do nature's thing. Like these whales are just kind of out there playing, and it was beautiful to see. I love nature. I love bushwalks. I love walks on the beach. I love being out on the kayak on the, on the lake and just relax and just listen to just the, the water there or... Uh, just kind of enjoy the, the serenity. And, and there's nothing wrong with enjoying the things that God has made for us. In fact, He, he made them for our enjoyment. Uh, Genesis kind of says that, that He put all these things under man's uh, authority and, and put us over charge of these things and made them for our enjoyment and, uh, and, and for our, our pleasure. And so we are, are meant to enjoy that sunset and, and enjoy the sunrise if you're an early riser. Uh, some of you would never enjoy a sunrise, probably, but uh, some of you really enjoy that kind of stuff. There's some beauty in nature. There's beauty in, in even technology. There's beautiful things in what God has created and what He has allowed man to, to create. The danger is when we start giving all of ourselves to the things of the world rather than the things of God. It's not saying we can't enjoy anything in life. Now, there are Christians, in, in, especially in church history, who have followed that, and they just think, you can't enjoy anything. And if you've been to some churches in the past, you may think they, they worship like that. And uh, they might be singing all things bright and beautiful, but they're just singing it, all things bright and beautiful. You know, and you think, there's nothing beautiful about that. There's nothing beautiful about the way you're singing. And some people look miserable when they're in church. I grew up in some churches, and you think, wow, yeah, let's really invite our friends to church because it's such a happy place to be. People just look miserable sitting in the pews or sitting in the seats. And you think, wow, what leads us to believe you can't enjoy life, you can't enjoy beautiful... No, God created it to be beautiful, He created it to be enjoyed, but He creates us to love Him, to have fellowship with Him. He desires a relationship with Him. And when John is talking to the people here in the early church times they have started developing a love uh, of knowledge, a, a quest for knowledge, a, a love of things rather than a love for God. They didn't think a relationship with God was possible because they didn't trust in Jesus. They didn't believe in Jesus. They didn't believe Jesus is God's Son. And so John teaches them, no, God wants a relationship with you. He wants all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your strength. We are not to put creation or any sort of created thing over God. We are to follow the Spirit of God and His movement in our life through a relationship through Jesus Christ rather than follow the desires of our own flesh. And then it lists this for everything in the world, verse 16, 
The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. That kind of identifies what he's talking about, doesn't it? All the things in the world, the things of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, they don't come from the Father. They come from the world. Now, Gerard Crisper in, um, in his commentary calls verse 16 the, the trinity of evil. Uh, and some others have called it that thing, the lust of the world, the lust of the flesh, uh, sorry, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Um, many have said that this is to mean all of, all of sin and, and all that's wrong. Um, the lust of the flesh is also mentioned in Mark chapter 4, verse 19, and Galatians 5, 17. The lust of the eyes, um, Matthew chapter 5, verse 28, refers to the eyes as, as an organ, uh, and James 4, 16 is something that we need to, uh, to control. And the pride of life. Uh, all of us could mean, simply mean all, all sin is from the world, not from God. Genesis 3, verse 1 to, 16, uh, sorry, 1 to 6, talks about the temptation when, when Eve was tempted by Satan. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 to 11, talks about uh, when Jesus himself was tempted by Satan and says that these sort of temptations, this, uh, he brings out this lust of the flesh and lust of the eyes and the pride of life are brought out in Genesis and, to, uh, and in Matthew. Says that the point is, all of his sin, all of his temptation that tries to drive us away is not from God. It is from the world. And we are meant to be in but not of the world, which is a challenge, isn't it? We're meant to be living in the world. We're meant to be part of it, like we, we do our day-to-day stuff, and we work here, and we live here, and we, we play here. But we're not meant to be drugged down by the temptations of the world. And, and John begins here by saying there are temptations all around. There are things that you should love and appreciate, but you can't put the love for that above God. You can't put your focus on that, and you can't start following that because... Where you put your heart, your, your life is going to follow. And so we need to make sure that our love, or all of our heart, that agape love that it mentions here, is for God. The complete surrendered love is to God and not to the things of the world. But he goes on and says, there are some people who are going to move away from God that will experience in life. And sometimes people may even work against God. And so we need to be aware of that as, as his church and as his people. Uh, look with me in verses 18 to 23. It says this, Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know that it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies, sorry, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. These are great, um, great verses, especially in the context of speaking to these Gnostic believers, Gnostic teachers, 
in, uh, in John's day and in this day of this early church. And as the Christian church is trying to rise up teaching about who God is and how they can know God through Jesus Christ and through their relationship with Him because He is the Christ, which is the Savior, the Messiah. That's what Christ means. He's the promised one from the Old Testament. The Messiah, they're, they're looking to deliver them. John says Jesus is that one. He is the Christ, the Messiah. But there are those who have left the faith or left the church. So these are ones who used to kind of say that they're Christians. They used to belong to the church and yet they, they've moved on and now are teaching things against Jesus and against, uh, against the, the work of the, the church or the ministry of the church. Now, the word antichrist in the Greek is from, from two kind of words put together. Um, the Christos, which is Christ or the Messiah, and anti, which simply means a substitution for or something working against. And so the antichrist that is speaking here may not be any sort of one individual, but it's saying... There are those who are presenting to you a substitute for Jesus. Or there are those who are presenting to you things that are against Jesus. And he said in his teachings, as he does even in the gospel, he says, and in Revelation, saying the Antichrist is coming, those who are going to be against Christ are those who present substitutes for Jesus, that Jesus is not the only way. He said, you've heard that this Antichrist is coming, but I want to say it's not only coming, but there are many Antichrists that are already out there. There are those who have left the church or they've left uh, those who who did say that they were professing in God, those who, who said that they believed in God, but they've left and they're now presenting alternative lifestyles, alternative choices uh, for you as a church. There are those who are working to present substitutions for Jesus or teachings against that. And verse 18 says, there are many antichrists, including in this, uh, these, these Gnostics, who teach that Jesus uh, was not God in the flesh. And so they are against, against Christ. And that knowledge was a substitute for that relationship with Christ. But there's only one Christ who is Jesus. And John works hard to present that that Jesus is God in flesh, come as our Savior and Lord, and we can only have a relationship with God, which is what God desires. We can have that through Jesus Christ. There is no other name in heaven and earth in which, by which man can be saved. Jesus himself said he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. It says others may leave the faith in verse 19. It says if they do, they were never really part of the faith to begin with. Now, it's not saying... Now, don't hear me as saying we are not to love people who leave our church uh, because this is not talking about specifically Lakes Baptist Church in Gorakin because we are going to have some people sometimes who come into church and we're going to have some people sometimes who leave the church. Now, it's not to say if you're part of our family, you're part of our family, but if you walk out that door, <laughs> there ain't no coming back. Yeah? Because... Believe it or not, some churches have said that to people. And some churches have loved and and we embrace everyone who's part of the fellowship. And then as soon as they leave, you you cross them off the list. They're not on the membership list anymore, so they're not on our list. They're no longer part of our family. And some people, now I'll just use this example, okay? This is a kind of hypothetical example. But some people may go as far as going, oh, look, they used to come here, but we don't, we don't associate with them anymore because they're over at Wyong or they're over at um, wherever. Uh, they're at a, another church or they're at Hope UC or they're at the EV church. Now, 
we have to acknowledge that as the early church did, that all of these different churches, Wyong and Hope You See and EV Church, they're all part of the same family. And, and in the time of this early church, when John's writing this letter, there was no First Baptist Church and Second Baptist Church. There wasn't a Corinth Baptist Church and Ephesus Baptist Church. There wasn't an, an a, you know, the Ephesus EV Church or whatever. There wasn't these kind of sort of sections. The Christians were ministering from houses. And, and they were just different houses of believers who, meant to, who were meant to join together as one church, meant to support and to encourage each other in, in one church. So what he's saying here isn't if they leave your church, watch out for them because they weren't really part of your church anyway. They didn't really care about you guys. Now it's obvious because they're at some other church. Now churches for years, I say that and it sounds funny, but churches and pastors for years have used that to cause division between churches. And it's all about me and my church and this church. And the Bible was never, the church was never meant to be that way in the Bible. And so we have to present as God's church the one family of believers. Okay, so that's what we're talking about here. But he's saying those who are leaving out there and they're, they're leaving the faith and they're saying, hold on, that thing about Jesus that the church is teaching, that's not really true. There are other ways to heaven. In fact, some teach that all religions go to heaven. All religions are ultimately the same thing. All uh, ways kind of lead to salvation, lead to, um, lead to eternity with God. We're all okay. And there are a lot of different teachings out there. That, and it says, look, if people are going out and they're leaving the faith and they're teaching these things that are against Christ, or they're teaching that there is some other way to God than Jesus Christ, then they weren't really ever part of God's church anyway. They weren't really ever believers in God because they didn't ever have that relationship with Christ. Okay, does that make sense? What he's saying is, look, if they're going out and they're, they're teaching there's another way to God than Jesus, then they're not to be trusted, they're not to be followed. There are temptations out there that try to lead us away from God and try to take our love when it should be for God. There are people out there who, who say great things and, and they write great books and they do great speeches and, and it sounds enticing and it sounds maybe believable. And, and John writes to these early Christians and says, watch out. Because you know the truth. You know God and you know Him through Jesus Christ. And, and, and the Spirit of God has been given to you to comfort you and to strengthen you, to mature you in the faith. You know the truth, so don't let anyone take you away from that. And then he goes on in uh, verses 23 to 29 to close with this. It says, Church, follow the truth. Stand strong in the truth and follow in that. Look with me. This is it's good stuff. Verses 23 to 29. Verse 23 says, No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. And then verse 24, As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what He promised us, eternal life. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from Him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as His anointing teaches you about all these things, and as the, the anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it is taught you, remain in Him. And now, dear children, continue in Him, so that when He appears... We may be confident and unashamed before Him at His coming. 
If you know that he is righteous, sorry, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does right has been born of him. He says here, God, God himself is truth. And anything that's from him is perfectly true. And we can trust. And then he goes on and says, the Holy Spirit of God lives in you. Those who have given your life to, to, to Christ, those who have decided to follow Jesus, those who have put your trust in Him as the Savior, as the Christ, as the Messiah, those who have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit lives in your heart. And He guides you to what is real and what is true. And He, he encourages people in, in verse 27 especially to say, Trust what the Holy Spirit reveals to you. Trust God's working in your heart and in your life. And he speaks here against the need to learn or the need to be taught by others. The, the, the Gnostics, in, in their teaching, it was, it was a constant quest for knowledge. And it was the idea that, look, you can never know as much about God as somebody else. And so you need to learn from them and, and you need to be trained by them. And you always kind of need to be underneath someone learning. There are other religions who, uh, who teach that still today. There are, parts of, excuse, there are parts of Islam and there are parts of Catholicism that have the principle that you must follow the teachings of the religious leaders even over the teachings of Scripture. And that there are religious leaders who set the tone for how you are to live and how you are uh, to interpret the Scriptures. But the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible actually encourages us to go to the Scriptures and to allow the Spirit of God to interpret them for us, to allow the Spirit of God to teach us and to guide our hearts, and He will. I know um, we, we saw the international director of uh, the Gideons a few years ago, and one of the things he said, which I've, I know I've said here before, but it just always sticks with me, and he said, the reason they place... The Gideons placed Bibles in hotels and prisons and places all around the world. And he said, the Bible is the only book that's ever been written that every single time it's written, every single time it's read, the author is present with the reader. Isn't that great? Isn't that a great statement? It's probably not even his. I just stole it from him. He probably stole it from somebody else. But it's a great statement, isn't it? The Bible is the only book that's ever been written that every time it's read, the author is right there with the, the reader. Now, I don't know about you, but I've taken some classes where we're studying the book that the professor has written. Now, he knows that book pretty well because he's the one that wrote it. And he can explain it better than anybody else because he's the one that wrote those words. He knows what he meant. And if you've ever taken different English classes or English composition, whatever, a lot of times they're trying to pick apart writings from a couple hundred years ago and they'll go, oh yeah, but what, what she said is this, but what she really meant... Is, is this, and it's, it's open to that professor's interpretation. But when the, we read the Bible, God himself who wrote the Bible, God himself, who, that's his words, he is right there with us in his Holy Spirit to guide us and to lead us. And so he speaks here against uh, following the teachings of others and says, look, don't just take my word for it. As I would say as a pastor, don't just take my word for what is said, but go home and read it and study and question things. And let's learn together as God through His Holy Spirit leads us. He says, look, you know the truth because the truth is in your heart. The Holy Spirit is there to guide you. You don't need people 
to kind of say, oh, well, the Bible says this, but what it really means by that in today's society or today's culture is something completely different to what it actually says. You don't need uh, different cultural teachings on it. You don't need different contextual teachings on it because the Holy Spirit itself guides, with, guides us in that. And so John says to his readers, stick with the truth. Don't follow the false teachers. Don't follow these antichrists. Don't follow any who have moved away or maybe were never really part of God's church. But stand strong with God's word and follow strongly in God's ways. John here warns this early church and says, Look, there are many temptations around that are going to try to lead you away from God's ways. Stick with your first love. Follow, follow God and keep that first love with Him. Don't allow your heart, don't allow your life to be pulled away in any of these other ways or temptations. Because he says these temptations only satisfy for the moment that God offers eternal life, eternal peace, eternal joy, eternal fellowship with God through Christ. There are people and there are teachings that try to, the philosophies and, and beliefs that try to lead us away from God that says, well, Jesus isn't the only way to salvation. Or maybe Jesus isn't really God. He was just a man that was a great teacher. Other religions like Buddhism and Islam believe that Jesus was a man and he was a great teacher. They think he's one of the greatest ethical teachers of all times. But we know that Jesus is more than that, that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, Son of God, God in flesh, who paid the price for all of our sins, and any who trust in him can have life. And we must work hard as a church. We must be intentional about trusting and following the truth. Otherwise, if we're not careful, even as a church, even as believers in God, we can just kind of sway back and forth with whatever teachings blow through the wind. Now, many of you, you see, um, I know you've seen different, uh, a branch kind of blowing in the wind that kind of goes back and forth. And some of you may have seen video of, of some of these recent hurricanes and stuff in America. And you see these these violent, strong winds that just come and what, what was once a tree is just gone. It just goes. But some people, some of my friends have been showing kind of updates, like I'm still here uh, an hour later or whatever, and they're kind of giving regular updates on, on the different damage. And they'll show outside, and, and the wind is just, first of all, because it's kind of blowing the branches, and then it's whipping these branches, and then all of a sudden the branch isn't there anymore, and it's gone. Well, John writes sort of this, this message to this early church to say, look, you have to watch that you are standing so strong and that you are so firmly planted that you are secured so that as the wind starts to blow, our, our, our teachings don't change and, and our beliefs don't change. It doesn't change who we are. It doesn't change what we look like. Because even the smallest sort of winds can start blowing the, the flowers off the trees and can then start blowing the leaves off the trees and then can start blowing smaller branches off the trees. And then before we realize it, not only is it the tree changed, before we realize that the tree isn't there anymore. And isn't making any difference in the society, isn't looking beautiful anymore, isn't attracting other people to Christ, isn't showing His love and grace. We have to be careful as a church that we don't just be changed by the teachings of the world, by the temptations that are around us, by the, by the teachings of individuals or by people who are working against Christ or saying that there are other ways to, to, to God rather than follow Jesus. We have to stand strong on the Word of God. 
We have to be a people who are going to trust in His ways, trust in the Spirit which is, is in us to guide us and to comfort us and to lead us. And uh, we make sure that the ministries and the programs that we do as a church, as His church in general, not just Lakes Baptist, but as His church, we make sure we are standing strong in the Word of God and that we're being faithful to follow in Him. Because there are many temptations out there. There are many things and people trying to lead us away from Him. Now that doesn't just sound like it was just early church times. It sounds like it's today, doesn't it? Oh, we face many of the same things. It's why, the, I mean, this, the Word of God is not just a, a static book. It wasn't just a historical book uh, written by men years ago. This is the living Word of God, written by God Himself, and living and active. The Bible says it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Living and active, it, 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 it applies to our lives today. God knows us. He created us. God knows His Word. He created it. And He created it for a reason, for the Holy Spirit to guide us, to teach us, and to live strong as one church, to keep united with Him in His love, the love of God and the love of His Son, Jesus. The Holy Spirit unites us in that and, and wants to keep us strong in that so that we are leading other people to Christ, so that we are showing Christ as the, the way and the truth and the life, that no one can come to the Father by Him, so that by our lives we are showing God's grace and God's mercy. Let's just pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank You and I praise You for who You are. <laughs> Jesus, I, I thank You and I praise You that You are God. And that You came in, in, a, in the fleshly form of a man to teach us how to love and to, to be the sacrifice that we couldn't be. Because You love us so much, You were willing to give Your own life on that cross to pay the price for our sins so that now any who trust in You can have life. Because God Himself, the Savior of the world, the Creator of the world, has loved us so much to pay that price for us. The only spotless Lamb, the only perfect One, the only One without sin has paid that price so that now anyone, the good people and the rotten people, the people we think deserve it and the people we think don't. Any who trust in you can have life and peace and grace for all of eternity. Thank you, Lord, for the price you paid on the cross. Thank you, God, for sending your own Son, Jesus Christ, in the form of a man to teach us who you are and to show with us your love and grace. We pray that we as your church stand strong on your truth and we, we believe as your Spirit guides us and leads us to be the church you want us to be as your Spirit unites us in our love for you. God, we pray that we as your church lead people to you. Thank you, Lord, for these who are being baptized in, for these who have given their life to you, for these who want to stand up and say, I am a believer in Jesus Christ and he has changed my life and I want to share that testimony with others. God, we pray that as a church, the ministries we do, the way we love other churches around us, the way we love our community around us. We pray that everything we do, Lord, leads people to you, to your love, to your grace. You, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.